This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 115. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. All right, Barbara, could you introduce yourself and your work, please? Yes. Um, my name is Barbara Monette. Um, I live in Santa Cruz, California. I have been a licensed clinical social worker since um, 1991 and um, been in uh, the field of psychotherapy for uh, since then. And uh, my first um, real interest was in the field of codependency recovery and addictions recovery. Um, and at the time that I started working in that field, um, people were very interested in, in addiction recovery, but there really wasn't very much um, in the way of recovery for the f- friends and family members or children of or parents of the addict and the alcoholic. But that was really more my interest. I was one of the people in this town who um, was really promoting things like Codependence Anonymous, which is a 12-step program, very similar to Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, my friend, who's much more organized than I, but um, <laughs> the two of us together created a community around um, codependency recovery, and I um, really uh, delved into that sort of recovery and worked in that field for a long time. And then I went through my own marriage and divorce and realized, without the help of anyone, because nobody really could identify what the problem was that I was trying to express. But it turned out that I was married to someone who I couldn't, I did, I couldn't really figure out why he behaved the way he did. And it really, it slowly was revealed to me that I must have married someone with a personality disorder of some degree. And at the time, I was even um, sharing an office with a psychiatrist, and he wasn't able to identify it. And um, it became clear to me as I was researching and investigating, what is this, what is this, what is this, um, that when I came upon um, the area of personality disorders, specifically cluster B personality disorders, which uh, includes um, narcissistic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, which most people would call sociopathic or psychopathic, um, and then histrionic personality disorder, which are the people who say, I have a broken fingernail. Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, they make mm-hmm. like yeah, a, yeah. a super big deal out of nothing. Um, or seemingly nothing. And then there's the borderline personality disorder, which um, shows up as um, 
people that feel abandoned by everyone. And there's a real sense of push-pull, like, I want your help, but I don't want your help. I, but, but you should give me your help. Um, when I discovered that my I had married someone in that, that grouping, um, I um, became, it became clear to me that in graduate school, we never really learned anything about that grouping of mental disorders. And what I remember from school is that they said, if you ever find a client that has a personality disorder, refer them on because you won't be able to help them. But nobody ever said anything about the people who happen to marry them or the people that happen to be raised by them or the people that happen to have a kid that turns out to be one of these people. Alcoholics and addicts were the primary um, patient or client that people, uh, therapists and therapy was interested in and writing about and seeing, but people weren't particularly at that time interested in the family, what it does to the family. Um, so there was kind of a continuing theme there. And what I've seen now um, so clearly is that there are many, many people um, that are suffering, deeply, deeply suffering from something they don't understand because it's not, it's just just now um, starting to sort of get its due. And people are talking about it and writing about it. But um, there's so many times when um, perhaps a woman will be experiencing a relationship with a narcissistic personality disordered man and have all these experiences at home and she'll talk to someone, a friend, and the friend will just say, well, I don't, I don't think that could possibly be true because when I'm with you guys, you guys are awesome or he's wonderful or he's the president of the PTA or, you know, how could that be? And that just adds to the, um, level of discouragement and uh, problems that the, that people have when they're in relationship with these people. It's So you really have to find somebody that has had the experience of going through it themselves because it gets denied by society a lot. So that's a little bit about me and what I do. Right. That's a lot. And the first thing I wanted to say before we, we zone in, uh, zoom in deep, more deeper into uh, to narcissism is this idea and I think if any people I know that there are a bunch of health professionals who are listening and I think mm -hmm. Barbara made a really important point that that you know everybody looks at the patient but the person with the disorder or the disease or whatever it is but there's a huge issue with people who are impacted by that. And it doesn't necessarily always have to be something where so somebody has like, um, does something horrible to other people. Right. I mean, um, mm -hmm. I think the narcissism part can be quite dark, but like sometimes it can just be somebody has a condition and it's, it's not their fault and they're just atypical. That's not, not nothing wrong with that. However, somebody has to take care of, of the people who are taking care of them. And I think that's something that I think you realized incredibly early 
Um, mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that's where um, all these things around compassion, fatigue, and like care fatigue and all those things, I think they, they only kind of surfaced in the last couple of years. So you, I guess you were ahead of your time in that way. Um, possibly. Um, possibly. I think, you know, I came into this field because I was so codependent. Um, I, that's what my, my, if somebody asked me what my problem was, um, it was, you know, I didn't know what to call it, but more than anything, it was people pleasing. I didn't, I, you know, if, if there was attention put on me, it was negative attention in my family. So I didn't want that attention. I, um, was raised to please my parents. Um, so I was set up to be a, you know, kind of a perfect codependent. And I didn't realize that pleasing other people was, an, was, uh, a, you know, a losing proposition. You, you get set up to believe that somehow there's a reward at the end of that game. And you're very, very lucky if you find, if you realize there's no reward at the end of that game because there's no person there that will be pleased. You know, that, that whole story is just a fantasy um, perpetrated by the person who thinks they can be pleased <laughs> to begin with. So um, I think I may have... Un, uh, started healing from it early because I was shaped as a, you know, into codependency early as so many of us are, especially women, but men as well. Um, under addiction, under addiction is a lot of codependency often. So, so you mean people are kind of almost like groomed to put back their own needs and that's why they I don't know, are you saying this? And if I'm, you know, interpreting it wrong, please tell me. But do you mean like you put kind of your your own needs on the back burner and that's why you maybe also tolerate certain behaviors? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to be sure. And I also, I think people, when they hear these kind of things, and I want to address this immediately, um, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a two-edged sword, right? Because on the one hand... It's encouraging because that means, well, if, if, if it's something inside of you that you at least have a shot at, at trying to change that. But I think a lot of people also interpret it in a way that means like it's somehow your fault. And okay, I, that's I, a great question. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important thing just to point out that like it's it's not your fault if you were no. if you were groomed like groomed or brought up that way. And I don't even I don't even know grooming is maybe not the right word because I, I doubt your parents had any insidious motives. Like that was probably no, more no, no. a time thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no fault. There's no fault anywhere. I, I, this, I strongly feel this in my gut, my bones. <laughs> um, none of this is about fault at all ever. Um, there's no, the attic, you know, the addict is not at fault. There's no fault 
the way that your parents raised you, it's not their fault. Everybody, that my true, true deep belief is everybody is doing the best they possibly can. If they could do something better, they'd be doing it, you know? Um, so it's not a matter of blame, uh, assigning blame at all, ever. Um, I'm kind of maybe a little bit radical, actually, in that um, opinion. Um, <laughs> people, you know, some of my clients are like, really? It's it's not his fault, really? <laughs> and I don't really believe in fault or blame uh, as y- useful ideas at all, um, because everybody's doing the best they can, and we are just doing what we learned or what we observed um, or what we were capable of understanding at the time. Um, so that's why often um, people don't don't reach out or or they don't change until they really crash until they really hit a bottom. And that's true in addiction. That's also true in codependency. That's also true with, uh, you know, any area of their life that's just really going bad, badly. Um, You know, they tolerate and they tolerate and they tolerate and they tolerate, you know, um, um, anything, you know, because we want to get along. We want our you know, we want to get along with our boss. We want to get along with our family members. We want to get, you know, but when it gets just intolerable, whatever the problem might be, that is usually often when people say, I just can't take this anymore. I need to get help. And it's at that moment um, out of some kind of desperation that people are open enough and willing enough and honest enough to go outside outside their friendship circle, outside their family circle, to, um, to someone who um, has some, or they believe has some skill or has um, some experience um, with the issue that they're dealing with. And then they're open to hear that. Yeah, that is, that is a great point. And I think it's, yeah, it's also true. And um, sometimes that is a problem because when you're that beat down, it's kind of hard to have the energy to do the things you're supposed to do. But I guess there's also uh, an energy that comes out of desperation. So, yeah. Abs- yeah, there really, really is. Like, um, people will bring, like, a lo- moms will bring, call me and say, I need to bring my 18-year-old son in because um, of his behavior or something like that, whatever it might be. And... Um, maybe he's smoking pot or something. Um, and they'll drag their, the son in and they'll sit with him and the son won't get a, one thing out of the session at all. Um, because he is not motivated from the inside out. You know, he's just going because his mom's not going to let him have the car or something if he doesn't go to therapy. Um, so in a case like that, um, I'll try to convince the mom to stay because the son, it's not doing the son any good. And, you know, so all of these issues, all of these issues are, um, nothing does a person any good unless they 
um, can bring themselves in um, and with the willingness to change. Because you, a person cannot change another person. We all want to change the person who is really driving us crazy. But we cannot change another person that's driving us crazy. The only person we can really change is ourselves. And most of us, if we have a person that's driving us crazy, like a narcissist or a sociopath or a borderline or an alcoholic, for that matter, um, think things like, if he would only stop doing what he's doing, my life would be great. But that's not true. The question is, why do I allow myself to, to be in this relationship? What is it about me that keeps coming back to this in this same way over and over and over again? Or what is it about me that keeps coming back and yelling about this over and over again and making my life miserable? Does that make sense? It makes it makes absolute sense to me, but I think it's again kind of the thing which we already talked about where where people might glide into the territory of either blaming themselves for that or or being indignant and just being like, It's not my fault, it's their fault. And then and right, that, right. And, and that ties into what you said, that blame is while it's a completely understandable human emotional response. In the long term, in terms of healing, mm-hmm. it, 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 it might be like the first step to be like, yeah, I feel that I want to blame them or I blame them. But like beyond that, it's completely useless. That's the point. That's exactly the point. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to give anybody the impression that they're wrong to blame or they're wrong to yell or they're wrong to be frustrated or they're wrong to do anything. You know, I don't even, I don't have, I have a, you know, wrong, right. That's completely um, up to the individual based on how they want to live their lives that moment in that moment. But ultimately, one of the biggest, biggest lessons here, um, if you really want to be happy, if you really, really want to commit to your own happiness, is the universal truth. Um, is The universal truth is, if you want to be happy, you must realize that you have to take responsibility for your own life in in ways that you're able to. You have to make decisions based on your well-being. So some of those situations, some situations are very tricky and, you know, people might jump to conclusions saying, well, I just can't move out of here and do this, 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 and this. And that could be very true. But it doesn't necessarily mean moving out. It might be how you speak to the other person. It might be how you take care of yourself. It might be um, how you spend time, how much time you spend with um, a friend or um, 
what you do to, um, uh, what, how much free time you have for yourself or setting boundaries, setting boundaries is gigantic. Not, yeah. You know, not, um, being the savior for the family all the time or not thinking that you're the only one who can do something when other, when the kids can do some of this stuff too, you know, sharing some of the responsibilities of the household or, I mean, it's, you know, there's so many ways to address these kind of issues, but we get into these patterns. And one of the things that I really love, I feel like, um, you know, like a super sleuth, really, when people come to the office or I talk to them on the phone, trying to find out what are you repeatedly doing that's just digging the ditch a little deeper for you and you're not really realizing that. And you can put the shovel down so you're not digging it deeper for yourself. And usually it's really little things. Whatever that is, whether you're dealing with a narcissist or you're dealing with an addict or you're dealing with, um, you know, somebody else, somebody's bad behavior, or, <laughs> you know, how are you contributing to that unknowingly, unknowingly? Yep. Um, I like that. I want to circle back real quickly mm-hmm. to the actual, mm-hmm. like, what is narcissism exactly? Um, just because I think if people appreciate more what it is, I think then, I mean, everything you said made perfect sense. And I think yeah. everybody who, who listens to this regularly or who knows anything about these topics will kind of be nodding along. It makes sense. Yeah. But I think if you're yeah. maybe a newer listener and you're like, well, I'm not sure if, if somebody I love has narcissism. Um, two things. So one, the one question I have is, would be, how is it defined? And the okay. other question, and I think I want to pose them together, is that I'm under the impression that the word is kind of thrown around quite a lot nowadays, especially yes. in the last two or three years. And I'm just, I'm just curious also, how do you distinguish it, um, narcissism from someone who is just you know, maybe very self-involved, but not necessarily have any clinical issues going on? Um, that's a great question. And I'll, I'll tell you what a nar- what narcissistic personality disorder, what the symptoms are. Um, let me go, let me start there. Uh, cause you're, it, it's true. Um, the word narcissistic does get thrown around, um, a lot now. Um, but let me tell you what the, actually the, there's nine symptoms of, uh, that you can, um, look for to see if a person is narcissistic and what you need to diagnose a nar- someone with narcissistic personality disorder is five out of the nine. Okay. So the first, um, symptom is a sense of, um, self-importance or grandiosity. And that often happens, um, you, you just, you feel that, or you see that, or they exaggerate their achievements, or they think they're more talented <laughs> than they are. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a choir where somebody thinks they're singing on key, but they're not. Um, but that could <laughs> be a simple example of um, something like that. Um, um, or they think that they're superior, um, or they act like they're superior to other people. Um, 
Another one, the second um, symptom would be um, they're preoccupied with fantasies of success or power or brilliance or beauty. So they might be, or I um, like ideal love. So they could be very self, spend a lot of time in front of a mirror, getting ready for going out during the day, or um, I have a couple young men that I work with that are just so focused on how much money they're going to make. They don't, they can't really keep a job um, successfully, but they can dress up for one really well. But (laughs) their arrogance and haughtiness, and um, it's almost like um, they act like they've been in the job for years and they know what they're doing, but they've never really taken the time to learn the job. So they have that, it's a, you know, it's just a fantasy mm-hmm. of how great they're doing. Um, the third symptom is um, so a belief that they're unique um, and that they can't they, they kind of can't hang out with the regular people because they're a little bit too special um, or a little bit too um, a little bit a little better a little high status like you're not going to understand this you know I'm not going to even bother explaining it to you because you're really not going to get it so you know it's another way of um, making you feel less than and, and seeing themselves as better than. Um, so that's the third um, symptom. The fourth is they require excessive admiration. Um, a lot of times um, I hear women who come in and they... It, it's so un, it's so weird because these women that don't know each other, of course, they'll say the same thing about the men that they're complaining about or reporting about. Um, and they'll say, my husband says to me, you don't really love me, do you? You don't really love me. I don't think you really love me. And that's just an example of um, that requiring excessive admiration. Um, one example. Um, Can I just yeah, just yeah, real quickly? Me, I've yes, just yes. noticed like this whole interview. All your examples are men. Is that clinical reality, or or is that I don't know? Um, I, I don't know if I'm being facetious or not. Or, no, or is no, it like California, or is it? Like- no, no. The, <laughs> that's a great question. And um, there are women. There are women that are, have narcissistic personality disorder. Absolutely, no question about it. Um, but it's prevalent, it's more prevalent in men by far. Do you happen to know any numbers or if not, that's fine, but you know, I don't know what the, um, what that would be, but I do have, okay, this is very, this is, um, an argument that goes on, uh, one of the first uh, years um, that I was reading about this, I think they said in one of the DSMs, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is like our Bible, um, 
about um, how to diagnose or what symptoms are that lead to diagnoses, um, that maybe 4% of the population was nar- had narcissistic per- personality disorder. But now there's literature that is pushing that number between 20 and 25%. Whoa, that's a huge difference. It's huge. It's huge. And but, but when this, I, when, yeah. I, I don't know, sorry, the, the DSM, yeah. like, I feel, um, like, I, I don't, I, I, I'm sometimes just slightly skeptical, not oh. because I'm, I don't want to, <laughs> definitely not a science denier or anything like that, but I do feel like it does help certain industries if we push those numbers oh, high absolutely. up. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason not to be skeptical of the DSM. Um, but with or without the DSM, I, I feel like just in daily life, in my just daily practice of people that don't come to me for this issue, but they um, just in the world of um, people and their problems, just in the world of um, how we get raised in the world, and maybe this is more USA than ever than anywhere else I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is more America today than other countries I don't know but it feels like the United States is a very narcissistic country at the moment and has been uh we have a lot of spoiled you know a lot of um Kids that have been uh, given a lot more than any other generation has been given, and a lot of privilege. Um, that's going to get me in trouble. But <laughs> that's fine. Um, not no, well, not for me. Definitely not for me. I'm one hundred percent there. But it's very, you know, there's. It's hard. These days, with the way our economy is, and education, and the lack of a middle class, and just the way things are going with our government, and the lessons that we are um, seeing through the government that we have right now, you know, narcissism is rampant, absolutely rampant. Um, And every you know, that's pervasive in our society right now. Um, and it's terrible. It's not good. It's really not good. So I, I don't think that's such an over, uh, I don't think that's an over-exaggeration. I don't, I really don't. Oh, wow. Okay. The, the other thing is, it's like, it's a little bit like, how pregnant are you, you know? <laughs> um, if you're a little bit narcissistic or a lot narcissistic, does it matter? And some people think, yeah, it matters. I can put up with, you know, a mother who's a little bit narcissistic, or I can put up, or, or I can't put up with a mother who's a lot narcissistic. These are like personal issues um, that a person needs to define for themselves how they um, how they live their lives um, with a mom who insists that uh, an adult child spends X amount of time with them and the adult child's ready to set a boundary and the 
um, very narcissistic mother is going to, you know, uh, there's going to be repercussions that are going to be ugly, you know, um, versus putting up with that. I mean, these are all the kind of ins and outs of dealing with narcissistic parents, let's say, that one has to make decisions about. You know, if I set a boundary with my extremely narcissistic mother and she's um, either going to leave me the castle or not, what's the best thing to do? I mean, these are the kind of practical things that families, you know, it's not nice to think that you want to talk about those things, but you've got to talk about those things and think about those things and what your principles are and what your morals and your values are. Um you know, what means what to you? You got to get down to the on the honest truth about how you feel and um, be as honest um, with yourself and your family and do what you can live with in the most um, ethical way, right? Yes. Because yes. you don't want to sell your soul and you don't want to cut your nose off despite your face. <laughs> That's a good one. Right? Yeah. So these are all those kind of issues that come with um, being involved with someone um, who is crossing your boundaries all the time or making you question your val- your own worth all the time or making you feel small all the time. So, the, I mean, that's that's kind of what we're talking about, what we're dealing with. Yes. So can we return to the, the symptoms? We were at number yes. four with the admiration. Yes. Oh, you've got such a good memory. <laughs> um, okay, so number five is a person with this would have a sense of entitlement. They have unreasonable expectations of being treated favorably, and they think you should comply with all of their wishes, period. And why wouldn't you? I mean, I just don't understand why you wouldn't, (laughs) you know, like don't, you know, it's my way or the highway. That's what that is. Number six, they're um, exploitative. They'll take advantage of other people to achieve what they want. And And they're so manipulative if they need to be. This is really tough because if you figure out after 20 years of marriage, which is what I did, that I was essentially being, um, I wasn't being loved. I was actually being used. If you don't know that, you don't realize that. You you just think, gosh, my husband's a little weird when it comes to some of this stuff. Um, I wonder why he made those decisions and he won't necessarily tell you the truth about it. Um, So there's something going on that, that I didn't understand, but my reputation was good and strong and honest in the community. So people didn't doubt me. So they didn't doubt him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So that, that's how that works. And that's painful, but you know, that's what made me good at what I do. Um, the seventh is really um, probably key, and that is that they lack empathy. That's huge. And they cannot see life through the eyes of another person. 
You know, it's it's like um, if there's somebody on the street um, with a, a uh, their hat out for change or something, they'll make derogatory remarks probably. They or they can't understand why poor people are poor, or um, why suffering people are suffering. Um, they just don't get that. Um, now they can pretend to have empathy if they need to pretend to have empathy to get something that they want. They're also, um, can be very jealous and envious of people that have something that they want. And the last of the nine symptoms is, um, being very haughty and very arrogant you feel it if you're an if you're not a haughty and arrogant person, or you're a very empathetic and um, compassionate person. You, you you don't recognize that other people are not, that there are people that are not. You just feel like, wow, that was insensitive. Mm-hmm. I wonder I wonder if he's in a bad or she he or she is in a bad mood. Wow, I wonder why they're in a bad mood. Hmm. Maybe if I'm extra nice tonight, they'll be in a better mood. Oh, but it doesn't. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. And that's the the codependent, helpful helper, partner, person who has these unreal expectations that if I behave in a certain way, this um, discomfort, this the irritation, this agitation, this oh, I'm walking on eggshells. You know, I won't have to walk on eggshells tonight if I do the right thing. And, and that, um, that's what happens to the rest of us, um, tr- you know, in good faith trying to make these relationships work. You know, I'm, based on the nine symptoms, I feel like the, so you said if you have five of the nine, mm-hmm. um, that, that is, then it's clinical, then it's um, uh, a narcissistic personality disorder. But I feel like the first five, like, I don't know, maybe I feel that way because I have in certain moments, not, thank God, not all the time, but like, I I think that there are moments where, you know, either you feel superior to other people or you actually are someone who gets things and the others are not catching on to it. Like, I feel the first five are kind of like, well, don't we all have that sometimes, right? And it right. seems like to me that there they could theoretically, if I just um, stick to the DSM, and I have to because I do not know anything else about, like I don't know about narcissism that way. I didn't study clinical psychology, so I'm not um, trying to be humble or anything. I truly just don't know. So it seems to me that there could be um, like a lighter shade so to speak, of narcissism. And I don't mm-hmm. know um, if you've seen the show, but, you know, some listeners might have seen it. I'm thinking of um, Rogelio de la Vega from uh, Jane the Virgin. And, and Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, okay. but he's like, he is ridiculous in his vanity, in his superiority, and yet he's the biggest darling. And it seems like, well, if you if you strike the first five, you could somewhat be like, yes, it sounds annoying and a lot of things can be annoying. But like the others seem darker to me. The part of when you're when you're intentionally manipulating to people, the part where you where you 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 try, you know, you can't feel empathy unless it, you can pretend to feel empathy, but you can't, like, do you know what I mean? So it seems like there could be, like, very dark, like, almost psychopathic, like, 
bordering on the criminal narcissistic behavior and then the more like you know very good looking person who's also too charming for their own good kind of thing yeah well i think uh, you i mean you're really touching on something that's um that makes this so difficult um in so many ways to deal with it's a it's a sticky sticky subject unless you know what it's like to live with a narcissistic a person who's very very close to you and you have suffered um by their hand it's very i mean everybody is selfish from time to time everybody is you know sometimes lies everybody is sometimes grandiose everybody is sometimes taking advantage of something but unless it is causing problems in your marriage or your friendships or your relationships at work or your finances or school it's not a problem it's like depression or anxiety and let you know everybody gets depressed i mean most people get some depression sometime in their life or some anxiety sometime in their life unless it takes over and um you just can't function or it, it you know or somebody else is able to identify that in your life and just says sweetie you've got to get some help you know and you're like no i'm okay <laughs> you know and they're like i don't think you're okay come on let's get some help you know unless it reaches some certain volume um you it's not a big deal but in these cases it becomes too serious and it's not willful it isn't willful people don't say i'm going to okay i'm i'm 14 years old i'm going to be a narcissist this is um we don't know if it's nature or nurture but these signs start showing up pretty early in a person's life most of the time and they're obnoxious early you know and they're um judgmental and mean early and selfish and self-centered centered early and they might be gorgeous people that are very attractive but they're going to break your heart early and they're going to break you know 20 people's hearts early so it's it's not that that the next day they're going to say oh i'm so sorry i was such a jerk that's not going to happen so the consequences of um falling into a relationship with somebody like this who can be exceedingly charming in the beginning of a relationship because they want what they want and they stay exceedingly charming until the wedding uh or um the check gets signed and then the true personality uh which cannot be hidden for long starts to emerge and you're like who did i marry most people don't recognize that they've gotten involved with somebody like this until quite you know quite some time until they're into the relationship that's if it's a partner like a parent even even being parented by somebody like this they just you know you just think my parents my parent you know if they treat me like this they treat me like this but until you really see how other people get treated you don't have anything to compare that to and you don't know that when you're 
mother calls you, um, you know, when your brother's the favorite child and you're Cinderella in the family, um, that that's weird. You don't know that. Um, there, you know, you don't, maybe you don't know that until you're attracted, um, to a woman like your mother who puts you down all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Um, It's like a puzzle that you don't know, you don't have all the puzzle pieces until they all start falling together. And you feel like, how did this happen? That's, that's the thing. And the, uh, the narcissist, um, at that, at this level of narcissism, um, they don't know it either. They don't know why they do what they do. They just do what they do. You know, I'm quite honestly, I'm trying to figure out and this is not, I mean, this is now this just reminded me of this, um, I'm trying to figure out exactly what you said. And you're like, oh, one of your parents is one. I'm truly trying to figure out if, if that was my dad. And he's dead now, so I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. killing his reputation or anything. And I'm, I'm truly not sure because one, he was he, – I, I, I think he was kind of good with awareness, which is weird. So, mm-hmm. so that's kind of the part that confuses me about this because I was just thinking like – um, before I was thinking, well, can anybody get better? Like, is there is there some point or some insight where you described at the beginning of this interview the breaking point for the codependent? But is mm-hmm. there theoretically a possibility that some someone who who maybe they've been a narcissist their whole life and then they have their breaking point and they're like, well, this is all somehow gone to shit? How? How? Because I feel like my dad probably was that, but when he was younger, and I feel like when he got older, he, he at least tried? Yeah. I think there is, let's say, a level one narcissist who may not be um, as deeply into the pathology, who somehow by the grace of God or something is able to break through the conditioning or, or whatever you might call it and have some kind of an awareness of an awakening. Let's say they're just uh, mimicking a narcissistic parent of their own in their behavior, but they really are not that, you know, like an alcoholic son or daughter will out, will do what their parent did. But they really, at the core of who they are, don't have the genes that um, a true addict might have. I don't know if this is very scientific, the way that I'm saying this, but, you know, they're just mimicking the behavior. I'm I'm following along. It makes sense to me. It's kind of like somebody, like I have zero propensity for alcohol, but theoretically I could have... Um, yeah, you could just, cross the line. Or, just, you know, to impress my friends, like, drunk right. myself stupid, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. right. And you could have you could have tried to impress your friends enough or been to enough parties, invited to enough parties to drink enough to become alcoholic. But you woke up one day and said, God, this isn't working for me anymore. I need to stop drinking and stop drinking, right? But, or you could have, um, you know, been a born 
born with that propensity to be an alcoholic and just be an alcoholic and never not be an alcoholic. And every time you drank, you just didn't know where you were going to end up. So I think the same is true for um, some of these um, personality disordered people. I think that's possible, very possible. I don't think that that's the, um, the norm, but I do think it's possible. I absolutely think that there's a possibility of that. You know, it's like a reformed heroin addict. I mean, I've worked with so many people that have been living under the bridge and, um, you know, somehow had a spiritual awakening of some nature, whatever you or whatever you want to call it, hit bottom and, you know, seen the light, um, uh, gone to a program that teaches them to think, then they learn to think while they were using or even from a super dysfunctional childhood, and they were able to reconstruct the way that they process everything and became fantastic um, teachers and counselors and therapists and leaders and community participants. I mean, that stuff happens all the time. So I, I, you know, I think that's a possibility for everyone everywhere. And, you know, you never know. You never, never know. I've worked in treatment programs and you never know who, who walks through the door, how they're going to walk out. You just never know. So I, I would always hold that as a possibility. How do you, um, sorry, mm-hmm. um, how do you, for me, for example, I don't know if this sounds cold or anything, but like to me, walking away from a man just seems, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's hard, but it seems just infinitely easier than let's say if it's your child. Walking away from... from a narcissistic man. So for me, it's like, I'm wondering, you know, because I'm thinking like, well, um, there are these optimistic cases that you just talked about, right? Where, you know, somebody you love, maybe they were mimicking, maybe, as you said, through some grace of God, the universe or whatever, um, they, they come around themselves. But I think if you're, if you're someone who loves someone like that, um, to me, like, I think walking away from a man who is like that is, I mean, I'm sure it's hard, but I think I could do that better than if I had a child and then suddenly, you know, it transpires that that child is a narcissist and they're not coming around. And then what on earth do you do with that? That is the hardest thing in the world. I mean, that's like, it's like you have a son or a daughter that's a murderer or something, you know, that's really hard. And you have to learn how to forgive. And that's a big job, but you learn how to forgive. You learn to, you learn to let go and you learn to forgive. And you learn that it's not your fault. It's not your responsibility. And you put it in the universe's hands and you learn that you can't control any other person. And you give them back to the universe and give their lives back to themselves, to them. You live your life. And, you know, some people pray and some people um, do service of some other nature. Um, and that's usually um, what people find they do. 
you know those wonderful stories about uh, the Israelis or the and the Palestinians that you know two mothers or two fathers go out and talk to different classrooms or something because their two kids got killed in a war together or something and they're supposed to be enemies but they're not um, you know because they've experienced the same thing together um, and it bi- it binds them together in a special way that they could never find that kind of bond that's that is the kind of thing that happens your your son or daughter might be in prison and you might not ever you know really be able to see them or touch them again but it teaches you a level of wisdom and a level of compassion and a level of love that you also cannot get any other way you know it's that journey of the night of the dark soul you know yeah, and it yeah, mm-hmm. it's living. It's learning to live with um, that dark, dark, dark cloud, and trying to find the light within that dark cloud. Because because your child is not the only child. There's millions of children like that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a very good point. That, and I think that's like at least to me, that mm-hmm. is something that I find hugely reassuring about suffering in general that mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. can I mean I, I get I don't know you have to probably have like something inside of you that makes you want to do that and share that kind of thing with people but I find that something that that gave me tremendous power during depression where mm-hmm. you were just like okay n- on the other side of this even if some horrible things that you believe right now are actually true and you mm-hmm. truly cannot fix them, um, which, you know, I'm lucky that did not turn out to be true for me, but it might. Mm-hmm. Some people um, are not blessed, um, sadly. But knowing that you can kind of channel that energy into trying to educate and, and elevate people who are suffering from the same thing, I find that is to me like one of the single most reassuring things about life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it makes me just think of just one little example is the Women's March after Trump was elected was one of the biggest marches maybe in the world. I'm not sure. But people just marched. I mean, people came out of the woodwork in, in my little town and all over the United States, all over the world, because we were so de- defiantly, insistently um, wanted our voices to be heard because we, we knew, you know, what the, what, what the leading voice was spewing and we didn't we didn't want to stay you know seated and let that voice waft through the air without uh, our voices being heard that's that's how movements get started that's how why i'm so passionate about what i do it's not because of any other reason, but I went through this. I went through it. 
that's why. I'm, I mean, and I'm sure that's why you do what you do, really, if you think about it. It has to be because you're passionate about what you do. There's something about overcoming something that makes you want to share something that means a lot to you, that makes you do what you're doing every week. I mean, I've wanted to do what you're doing since the day I talked to you years ago. <laughs> I haven't been able to figure it out yet. <laughs> and you're like almost like a world personality by now. No, I don't know. But you know what I mean. Not, that's the weird fantastic. thing about podcasting. You can do incredibly well and somehow still nobody knows you. And you know what? That kind of suits me because I just want the ideas to go out there. I want to be able to walk around in my weird t-shirts. And if people recognize me at conferences and stuff, or like if you happen to walk into that, like every once in a while, it's really cute and I'm super pumped, but I'm not someone who wants to be I, I really value privacy, so I, yeah, I'm it's a great happy way that like, and podcasting is lot. not like acting where suddenly you're yeah. like, oh my God, everybody knows who you are. That would be just yeah. terrifying for me. Yeah, I, I couldn't <laughs> handle that either. But, you know, you're doing a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about what we were just talking about is um, another real clue here is I – do not, I learned that I don't want to work harder than the client is working. Oh, good point. But elaborate on it, please. I have found myself getting so um, seduced by a person's problems and woes and um, complaints. And in my head, I, I would think, like, if you would only just do this, you know, <laughs> if you'd only just do this one thing, you know, just read this one book or go to this one meeting or just if if you just let me tell you about this one thing, just, you know, and this you could just hear it in my voice. You don't even have to know what I'm saying. It's just like <laughs> when I get into that pitch. What that is, what's happening is I want you to be better than you want yourself to be. I want to work harder for you than you are willing to work for yourself. And when I get, when I hear myself start to climb that ladder, <laughs> I know that I am barking up the wrong tree. I need to back off back away and chill out because it is not, not I'm, I'm not doing anybody any service. I think that's wonderful advice, not just for therapists, right? In life. Yeah. In mm -hmm. life, Maybe like, so. Yeah. Yeah. If, I mean, I, there are exceptions. Like if you have a toddler, like, yes, <laughs> yeah, that's a different thing, but yeah, but I feel that's that you hit, you hit the, the nail with that one. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just the nail on the head. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying too, from that other, from the other side, not just in the office, but in, in life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that I'm was... sure everybody has those friends, right? <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've regular, rigorously just started to be like, well, I mean, that person didn't ask me for advice or you didn't ask me for advice. I'm just listening, like almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and just like 
bright, fine. And and you, you do you. And if you ever get bored <laughs> yeah. of that, you know, let me know. <laughs> yeah. I love that. You do you. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So this was a super deep and wide-ranging conversation. And I I learned a lot because, yeah, because I didn't have a background in all of this. And I also, I don't know, I feel like maybe because we had this shared connection for a couple of years, it it, it felt really, I enjoyed this one particularly, like really, oh, really, really nice interview. Yeah. Is there anything that you feel that is important and that you just want to touch upon before we um, come to close? Well, um, I guess if anybody is interested in learning more about the topic, there is a lot written about the topic these days. And um, there's just a lot online. There's a lot of um, on YouTube. There's a lot of books on Amazon. Um, I'm uh, happy to work with anybody on by phone or um, FaceTime or Skype now because mm. I got it all figured out. Because <laughs> um, I made you install <laughs> It's so good. I need that push when it comes to, you know, things like Skype. Um, but healing is absolutely possible. I, I want to say that. You can really be happy. You can have a happy life. You can have a happy life. You just got to, you know, want that. It's got to be um, something that you want. And then you can learn that you deserve it. All right. So where can yeah. people find you? You can find me. I guess the best place is um, on my website, mm -hmm. which is Barbara, B-A-R-B-A-R-A, -A -A, at Barbara Monette, M-O-N-E-T-T-L-C-S-W, for licensedclinicalsocialworker.com. And I am in Santa Cruz, California. Yep. I think those are a lot of avenues. So if somebody has yes. a question, uh, they definitely yeah. know how to reach Please me. feel free to ask. Yeah. All right, Barbara, thank you so much for this interview. It's been wonderful talking to you and connecting with you. Yes. It's been a dream. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.